The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. Herod the Tetrarch heard about all that was happening, and he was greatly perplexed because some were saying, John has been raised from the dead. Others were saying, Elijah has appeared. And still others, one of the ancient prophets has arisen. But Herod said, John, I behead it. Who then is this about whom I hear such things? And he kept trying to see him. The Gospel of the Lord. As we've moved through the readings this last week, beginning with those first readings from the book of Ezra the scribe, we are confronted with Israel being resettled in a sense back home. The exile in the kingdom of Babylon has come to an end. People are free. And that's identified very clearly as an act of God working through the agency of a pagan king. This deliverer from outside, Cyrus of Persia, who allows the children of Israel to go back home with the instruction to construct the temple. And we heard over the last several days this curious mixture of lament and grief and confession of sin, recognizing how low their unfaithfulness had brought them, and yet with this muted but very real joy at being allowed to return home. And now we're confronted by the words of Haggai the prophet who receives his call to prophecy in this context. The tribe of Judah is back home. The descendant of David is no longer a king. He's merely a governor appointed by a foreign ruler. And Haggai the prophet comes forward to this people looking to start over. And his message is a stern one because you've come back and you've said you are delighting in your freedom. You've come back recognizing that God has given you a new start and what do you do? On the one hand, something very natural and common and yet on the other hand, something horribly misguided. Our first priority then is to take care of ourselves, you say. And so it is that the temple is not started. The temple is unfinished. And even the king who freed them said, go back and build a temple to the Lord. The people rejoice saying, yes, we will do this and return home and begin building houses for themselves. Begin putting everything in place to get life back the way it was and forgetting the fact that Without the worship of God, life the way it was has no meaning and very little value. So Haggai says, look at you. You built paneled houses for yourselves, and yet you are unhappy and frustrated within them. Look at you. You are getting back to business and back to work, 
And you're like that guy who goes and collects the coins of his salary, pulls them into a purse that has a hole right in the bottom. So everything you've worked for simply falls out of your grasp and gets lost. You are out sowing in the field, putting in all of this labor, and the harvest is a tiny one, and you're wondering why. So the prophet says, because you're putting all of this work in the wrong direction, and you've done little to nothing in terms of building up the house of God. And if you would see a change, then change what you're doing and where you're putting your effort. Go up into the hills and cut lumber, not for yourselves, but for the Lord. Put some effort into raising funds, not for yourselves, but for the Lord. First things first, the prophet says, and all other things will order themselves rightly. And in speaking this way, the prophet, or better, the Lord through the prophet is pointing out something that easily afflicts the people of God across all generations. We like to be forgiven. We like to be restored. We like to be healed. And we are very aware of the Lord when we need those things. We are very aware of the Lord when we turn to him and ask for those things. And we are delighted to receive these things from him. And yet, even as we receive them, how quickly we forget the giver of the gift. Because we are in a hurry to get on with our lives, to get on with our business. The example of the ten lepers who are cured and only one comes back to thank the Lord is, in a sense, what we see here in the words of the prophet Haggai. You received an, a, a tremendous blessing, a tremendous gift. Your hearts swelled with a joy that passed so very quickly. And instead of gratitude, you give me indifference. Because yes, I brought you back to the land that you might live there. But your living must be founded rightly. And you don't found it rightly simply by getting back to what you've always done. And so note the insistence. From God, everything has come. Found your settlement, found your returning in the land on gratitude to him. Honor him before you honor yourselves. See to putting your spiritual household in order and your physical household will follow. But don't expect that any of these things will go well for you if you don't do that. In fact, what the prophet is really saying is, we already know where this road goes. Israel turned away from faithfulness to the Lord, became indifferent to the practice of its faith, and we lost it all. And so how is it that everything is given back to you and you know why you lost it in the first place? 
and you find yourself falling into the same futile and empty pattern. What a powerful message that is. And note how readily it can apply to any of us. How easily it can apply across the generations, across the centuries, to the people of God of every age. This is not merely the criticism of a group of people who lived some 500 years before Jesus was born. It's the naming of a tendency that resides within all of our hearts and that can easily hijack our living if we are not careful. If it was simply a word for that one moment of history, there would be no need for us to keep reading it. There would be no need for us to bring it into our worship. It is likewise, however, a statement to all of us to attend to building up the spiritual household, to attend to building up one's spiritual life and one's well-being, because otherwise, whatever well-being we seek, whatever advancement we believe we're moving toward will in the end be merely temporary at best, empty in the end. And it's this attitude and this approach to things that we also see echoed in our gospel reading today, this odd reading about King Herod's confusion over Jesus. And we might say, really, why do we have to listen to that? And yet again, we see something curious here. Herod hears about Jesus. Herod is puzzled by Jesus. Herod is interested in Jesus in a certain way. And we wonder, he even says, there's something of John the Baptist about him, but I killed John. And there is something that I'm hearing from the people who call him Elijah or a great prophet, but I don't know. And this odd moment of, I don't know who this one is. Something about John is in him, meaning what I thought I killed is somehow still alive. There's something about this one that is strangely powerful, that has the note of a speaking and a truth that continues beyond the violence that I have already done, that continues beyond my self-assertion. Who could this be? And then he begins hearing from the people who he might be. And then the gospel reading ends with that curious statement, and so he kept trying to see him. Now, let's be blunt. Seeing Jesus was a pretty easy thing to do if we're interested in physically seeing him. Jesus is always surrounded by crowds. It couldn't have been that hard to see him. And so note the statement. Here's the king. Here's the ruler. He wants to see Jesus, but somehow can't. He kept trying to see him. Clearly, we're not talking merely about physically seeing Jesus, because that was one of the easiest things to do. And yet somehow we hear Herod couldn't. 
It's not that his eyes didn't work. It's not that it was impossible to go someplace where Jesus was and see him. Rather, the Holy Spirit through St. Luke is instructing us again that to see who Jesus really is is not a trivial thing. And it can't be done by that heart that is still mastered by the vanity of the world. It can't be done by that one who lives only for his own self-interest. Jesus will always be a puzzle. Jesus will always be a riddle. Jesus will be something that attracts. Jesus will be a curiosity. Jesus will be a source of fascination. And honestly, if we look at the world around us, we see more fascination with Jesus than real belief in him. We see more curiosity about Jesus than faithfulness to him. We see much engagement in a shallow way with the person of Christ and very little depth, just like Herod. The world we live in tries to see Jesus and is puzzled that it can't. But to see Jesus involves more than just a glance of the physical eye. To see Jesus really requires much more than a mere turning of the heart, which is curious. To see Jesus requires a certain rightness of life. Not a perfection, but a rightness. Minimally, just the desire to get life right. But without that, without that, one is always blinded. One afflicts himself or herself with spiritual cataracts, which blur the vision and make it hard to see with any clarity at all. This is what we see in Herod. Herod wants to see Jesus, but he can't. He tries, but he never does. Because his trying is not a matter of conforming his life to what is right and what is good. Note how important that is. This idea, again, and note how it relates to Haggai's words to Israel. You think that somehow by putting no effort into building the Ha Temple, you think by putting no effort into your spiritual life, you will somehow simply be able to recognize, appreciate, understand, and enter into the fullness of grace in life. But it doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. There must be as well a movement of the heart, minimally even just the desire of the heart to move if it feels that it can't toward the Lord. And into that opening, grace can come. But when the heart is closed in around itself, be it the building of the paneled houses for ourselves and our families, the working of our own fields in, a, in, in indifference to our other obligations, be it living in whatever gilded palace of comfort, we rest our heads at night. Whatever else we may do, whatever else we may see, we will be like Herod in the end, who tries to see Jesus, but never can. And again, 
we see. Seeing Jesus was one of the easiest things there was to do. And that's true for us today. Because note, that's not a big movement of the heart, honestly. To simply say, Lord, I would like to put you first. Show me who you are. That's really not all that hard to say. Really not all that hard to do unless I am so in love with myself that that makes it impossible. And so we have this curiously brief reading about Herod in our gospel today to remind us that seeing Jesus really shouldn't be all that hard, and yet we do have that odd tendency within ourselves to make it harder than it needs to be. How wonderful then that we can reflect on these things here at Mass, where again, we have that moment in the Mass where we are told to behold the Lamb of God, to see him, and note how it works. The physical eye sees the chalice and the consecrated host. It doesn't see his face. And yet the eye of faith sees clearly. Christ is here. Christ is here. If we live on the level of the physical eye, even though it's the easiest thing in the world to do to look up, we will look up and never see. But with a heart that is moved by faith, we can look up and we can see, and it's really not so hard. What a contrast. Physically, it's the same gesture. The eyes work the same way in either case. But note the difference of faith. It's not that hard to look up and see. But faith makes the difference with regard to how we see and what we see. And that's the lesson, unfortunately, for Herod that he never learned. Amen.